I'm your host, Lolita Rowe, the Community Outreach Archivist at Emory University Libraries, Stuart A. Rose Manuscript Archives and Rare Book Library, and you are listening to Rose Library Presents Community Conversations. We've spent this pandemic self-isolating, and I don't know about you, but I find that I miss connections and the way I could bounce ideas off my colleagues. In this episode of Community Conversations, I connected with two incredible contemporary Indigenous artists, Marie Watt and Chinupa Hanska Buger, whose works are featured in Each Other, a traveling exhibition currently on view at Emory University's Carlos Museum. I sat down with the artist and Megan O'Neill, Emory art professor and the show's curator, to talk collaborative art making, community, identity, space, and making connections. Emory University acknowledges the Muscogee Creek people who lived, worked, produced knowledge on, and nurtured the land where Emory's Oxford and Atlanta campuses are now located. In 1821, 15 years before Emory's founding, the Muscogee were forced to relinquish this land. We recognize the sustained oppression, land dispossession, and involuntary removals of the Muscogee and Cherokee peoples from Georgia and the Southeast. Emory seeks to honor the Muscogee Nation and other indigenous caretakers of this land by humbly seeking knowledge of their histories and committing to respectful stewardship of the land. Let's start with Marie Watt. Can you tell us who you are? Hi, I'm Marie, and I am a uh, Seneca artist from the Turtle Clan, and uh, our tribe is part of the Haudenosaunee, or people of the Longhouse. And Chinupa, can you tell us who you are? Yeah, uh, Dripping Earth Clan from Mandan Hidatsa, Rikara. Nation, um, also Lakota and European descent. Um, I'm a ceramic artist. I'm a mixed media artist. I'm a artist artist. Hi, I'm Megan O'Neill, and I'm an art history professor at Emory and also faculty curator in the Carlos Museum. And feel so blessed to have worked with Marie and Chinupa's works in the exhibition this semester. And this is why I phrased that question, can you tell me who you are? Because I think identity is so important. And I know that a lot of people can say these different things about who they think we are. But I'm always curious to know, who do you see yourself as, right? Because as you're going into this world of different cultures and different organizations, how do you navigate it? Does your experience versus someone else's experience tell people who you are? I think identity is a funny thing, right? Like it is an internal conversation. How do I identify? How do how, who who am I, you know, in relationship to myself? But there's a strange component in the 21st century it, it that it demands external validation, you know, which is strange. How why does my identity demand external validation from from outside of that, you know, uh, when, when I introduce myself, you know, I say I'm Mandan Hidatsa and Arikara, all of those. And just like Marie Watt had said, all of those tribal names 
if you translate them into English, literally mean like the human beings of a place, you know? Um, I'm interested when we actually are able to identify our humanity in one another, you know, um, versus like this effort to identify and all of the little tiny um, components and compartmentalized ideas of identity. I don't know how many times I've told people I am the people of the river, you know, I am the people, you know, I'm one of the human beings. Like I say this in another language and because the language becomes the identifier for my identity, um, I reinforce these kind of like components of separation where I'm literally saying, if I translate it to English, I'm one of the human beings. Like, can you not see that? I am one of the human beings, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, too, that we're talking about in archives because we're getting material that as somebody who's doing research, how do you find someone if the language that is used is not their own language, if it's not their identity, right? How do you you find that? And so that's a question that's been like a reckoning for people in archives in the past few years. Just going to ask Chanupa if you think that part of the conversation about identity and and what you're talking about relates to um, listening to one another's stories more, uh, or and maybe it's that there's a history of of not taking time to understand um, different stories. There's like a predominant story, and so um, is that why we're suddenly put in this place to talk about our identity because um, there's been historical trauma. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah, no, I mean, I would agree with that. I think um, there is a demand for us to declare our, our thing because there is a void in our collective narrative, right? Um, our collective narrative has a overlying kind of theme. Um, and in that theme, we have been compartmentalized. We've been separated from our, from our humanity, you know, throughout, throughout history, there has been an effort to like, separate and isolate people away. And um, in doing so, we were given titles, you know, this is your space, this is where you get to exist in. Yeah. Um, and, and then as long as you have that title, I don't have to do any deeper dive, because I have a box for you to exist in, you know, that's your box, that's your archive, you know, that's your vitrine, you know, with your cultural content within it. Um, and I don't have to go any deeper than that. That's fine. As long as that you can give me an identity that I can check with all of the checklists of identities that I have in my head, rather than actually seeing you as another one of the human beings, I need you to exist within this narrow framework of space allotted to you, you know, um, which is challenging, you know, and, and I think we run up, you know, as artists and as culture bearers and culture workers and, and, people embedded in, in um, history and, and anthropology and all of these sorts of things, there is an underlying current that we unintentionally reinforce by participating in the system of communication that, that we're forced to engage with. You know, In order for you to see me, I have to first present myself in the way that you're prepared to see me. I'm like, can you not see the two eyes, the narrow nose, you know, the, the hairless features on my face that help you identify me as one of the human beings without me having to speak on end about myself and my culture and reinforce all of those little tiny components and and 
um, narrow boxes that we're kind of forced to be exhibited in, you know, and it's challenging because it is important. It's important to create that framework for a more honest interaction with one another, you know? Um, so we're forced to navigate through these, through these spaces, but it's funny because as native people, we're always, we always represent our clan, our culture, um, our ancestors and our, and our relationship to place when we are afforded the opportunity to present who we are. You know, this is a customary practice. It's old. It's an old practice of acknowledging where you're from as a component to who you are, you know? Um, but that kind of customary form fits nicely in the tiny box that we're allotted, you know, because it reinforces all of those like othering. I had no idea I was other until I moved off of the res and was living in, in, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, you know, that's when I first realized I was something else, which is strange. It's strange as, as like a third grader to, to realize that you're not a part of everybody else who's around you, you know? And I'm like, of course I am. Of course I am. Like you're, you're making me other. I haven't othered myself. You're making me other. And I feel like identity helps reinforce that gap but it's important. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there, there are no easy answers to this, right? There's no thing. The thing about identity is that, I mean, it's, it's fluid, right? It's, it's, it shapes what we do, right? I'm sure it has shaped you as an artist. And it's like, how do you basically um, take that idea? Like you're saying of, okay, I have to I have to fill out this box, but then how do you take back your power to reframe that identity so that now it's in your court and not someone else's? Well, and I think the larger question is how does your identity change mine? You know, mm. how does how does my relationship to you reinforce and establish a greater connection that actually influences and changes the culture that I'm trying to represent, you know? Um, and so that's, that's the tricky thing, right? Like by participating in this system of separation and isolation, we don't get to embed ourselves in the intersections of our lives. You know, we don't get to, we don't get to allow flux and influence and growth in our culture to exist because we're doing that anyway. Why don't we celebrate that? You know, I think the thing, too, that gets me as someone who's an African-American who, as a kid, I didn't want to study my own culture because it was trauma. Right. The experience. That's the other thing, too, is like how much trauma has your culture or you experienced? And you're like, I am a part of this, but I'm also Lolita. I'm also someone who loves to nerd out about certain things. It's like, you know, it's like one identity. I have more than one identity. Because then you have to like frame that that so that you can kind of take back whatever you have so that you can say, okay, and and like I am by any no means an artist or whatever. Um, but uh, which let's just say it, I'm not an artist. But when you're an artist and you're going through trying to figure out like how like how does that influence um, the work that you do and how does that influence you even as an artist? Where are you, Marie Watt? The artist, or are you the indigenous artist, Marie Watt? Like, is there a way that you identify that as you're going through and you're like, uh, you said, like checking those boxes? Like, how are you as an artist um, making sure that your like artwork is being like, you know, understood? I would say, Lolita, that um, part 
of my identity might be a person who is a storyteller, but I think storytellers are artists. And I think you're, you're a storyteller by, by engaging in this exchange with people who make things, you're making something too. I, I actually tend to think that like thinking about even the word artist is, is kind of, I don't know if I, if it's fair to say problematic, but I think in most tribes, the word artist doesn't exist. Right. But people have been making things. So this is another kind of identifier that and that comes with all these expectations and this kind of conflated ideas and and yet I I really would like to um remind people that we we all come from like very creative uh traditions and that we're we're constantly making decisions in our lives to um surround ourselves with um stories and visual objects that that empower us or make us, um, wonder that transport our imaginations. I don't know. This is, it's a complex topic. Yes. I'm bringing the light topics today. (laughs) I will say my identity has changed by knowing Chinupa and working together on each other by collaborating with Chinupa and, uh, having an opportunity to make work during a family residency, our, um, well, I would say your story has changed my story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. And I think that's, that's the more honest kind of exchange, right? Like our stories, when we share them and, you know, as artists, once again, we're just trying to communicate, like we just use a visual language versus a written one, you know? Um, and so we're all, that's, that's what we're trying to do. You know, it's a communication. And so you're wrapped up in that as well, <laughs> Lolita. <laughs> you're entangled. And, and, oh, <laughs> yes. you want you or not? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I like the idea that the Carlos brought this to the, to the students and to the area is, is such a great thing. Like I got to see the exhibit finally. And <laughs> it is, um, it is beautiful. And that, that you're talking about that collaboration. Um, it, it's very stunning and visual. I don't think I've ever seen something like this before. Megan, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, you know, the Carlos and how, and that, that form of storytelling as well that the Carlos brought to the space. And please, everybody talk at once. I love it. Please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sure. I can talk a little bit because this podcast will come out when there's still time for people to come see the exhibition. So it's an exhibition uh, with Marie Watt and Shanupa Hanska Luger of their work that has been made separately from each other and work that they made together. Uh, it was originally at the Denver Art Museum, curated by John Lukovic, and then we got to bring it to Emory. And we have the amazing pieces by Marie, where she's working in beautiful textiles and other materials, and then Chinupa, who's work in ceramics and lots of other materials. And the main theme of the exhibition is about collaboration, but it also is about there are a lot of stories in there too, whether you they're explicit or implicit stories. So I love that you guys have already been talking about stories and storytelling. And one thing that's been amazing about having the exhibition on campus is just sometimes the gallery gets so loud because everybody's talking to each other. And I love that. I hate the idea of a museum being a quiet place. And, uh, and it's it's partially because the acoustics of the building that like if more than one person talks, it gets really loud. But it's great 
And students keep telling me how much like they go back with a friend or they go with their professor and or, or they go with their families. Um, and that's been great. So it's the stories that you all put into the works and the stories that are generated as a, people experience them has been really wonderful to see happen. This exhibition, Each Other, is, you know, almost a... Um, it's an it's almost an archive of of work that Marie and I have done over the years that is based on um, social practice, social social engineering projects, right? So these aren't our stories; these are our stories, and and so there's something that's that's interesting in uh, an exhibition, especially in a um, in institutional spaces and museum spaces um, where the audience actually participated in the creation of the work, you know, um, oftentimes there is this, uh, once again, this separation and this isolation and this pedestal that artists are placed on, you know, where it's like this individual genius, you know, uh, uh, or mad person, you know, created this work and, and we get to set, you know, see, see the, the wake of, of their influence. Maybe we'll be able to see the, the artist's finger embedded in the, in the, um, thing or an ear in a box. We love these kind of like, um, romantic, uh, ideas, particularly here in the United States, whereas there's this myth of rugged individualism, you know, and we see that play out in our obsession with celebrity. We see that play out in our, in our social media platforms where we're, we're, you know, in the wake of, of narcissism and voyeurism at its like apex in the human experience. Right. And this exhibition is impossible solo it's impossible individualized all of this work was was created with the hands of many people who cared you know they cared about maybe the the narrative that we wanted to present or the the effort to share story rather than than um uh hold it and 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 isolate it and clutch it you know it was like let's share art as a practice rather than art as an object, you know, let's share the effort to let's share creation, you know, like, let's consider that. Let's consider us sharing the creative experience rather than um, the byproduct of that expressive moment, you know, which is what most art exhibitions are. It's the culmination of byproduct, you know, um, what what's left over from this really wonderful and ecstatic experience. So, Marie and I both have that in our practice. We've done this sort of work. And this exhibition, Each Other, is kind of the culmination of, of many years of, of practice, kind of trying to understand what that means to share art as a, as a practice rather than share art as, a, as an object. And I, I think that's what creates like interest and intrigue and why people come in and want to want to have conversation. I know whenever I've exhibited this work, oftentimes I find somebody who's participated in the practice, in the project, you know, and, and they, they look for their, their fingerprint, you know, they look for their ear in a box, you know, left over <laughs> in that as like, um, uh, uh, relationship to it that feels like you have ownership of this work without having to possess it. And I think that that's something completely contrary to the system that we kind of navigate through at present. I think it's really 
important that it brings people into museums who might not see themselves in museums either because their hand is in that work because they are part of a practice and and they're part of that that story and that energy is imprinted on those those objects then exactly and that's what we do in archives too like it's like when you can see yourself in the archive you're a part of the story you're a part of the narrative and just like in the in the setting like your pieces are very tactile like it's very like oh it's not it's not this idea that I had of what I thought or what I was told art is it's more than just that one way of doing it mm-hmm. it's it's that experience that you have when you walk in and and it's it's more than just you know um, paint on a canvas right it's it's textiles it's ceramics it's all these different mediums that you both use to create these amazing pieces of work that then you as participants of not just seeing it you like you're saying you're like oh wow I was a part of it because I participated I helped you know and that's that's special that that's really a connection and and then not only you but then like as you're traveling around there are people that you're weaving together in this story throughout the country that they're now part of this experience. I think that's very cool. Yeah. And I mean, so I think I've talked to Marie and Chanupa about this, that one reason I wanted to have this show or contemporary Native American artist show is so that it wasn't this, you know, Native American art is something from the past, right? Or Native American art is one thing. And you guys just explode that, right? Native American art is lots of things. And also Art is lots of things. I love the idea of this like phrase more than because I think in the whole process we learned that all of this art and your work is more than anything, right, that you could categorize it as. And one of the other things that I'm finding with, as you all were saying before, that your relationship with each other has affected how you change as people, that like my relationship as a professor has changed and my students' relationship has changed just in the six weeks that your art has been up, like they want to make things mm-hmm. now and they keep, you know, like, can we make more things where they're organizing mm-hmm. groups to sew together or make clay or paint together. And so that's also just so interesting that they're, because we're also returning after a year, more than a year away from the pandemic and that, you're inspiring people not just to learn about you, but just to learn about themselves and to use their hands in different ways, which I think is really a wonderful way to return to life together after the pandemic and also rethink how who they are as students and as people too. And what's great too, like connecting it um, also to the archive is we work with a um, a PhD student and he's now um, a doctor. So yay, he came down to do his research on Atlanta as a hub for LGBTQ life. And he actually created, um, he wanted to connect people and the way that he thought to do that, not through like he has oral histories, but through a sewing circle connecting people through sewing and having that experience and and creating panels so that people's stories could be told. And I think that's very interesting that this thing that's supposed to be um, something that's done in the past, sewing, is connecting people in the future and how that's the tool that people are using because it's 
it's a great way, like you were saying, Megan, to connect people together in a sewing in a sewing circle of all things, like this thing that is just um, connected. And it, it does like you have something tangible, but I think it's more so that experience of what you're saying with the people participating in your in your um, exhibition is that, again, you have that connection. I think that's the most important thing that people are getting out of it, too, is like you're connecting to other people. So you're not just an individual on your own. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what's interesting. Every, you know, every museum, every every center for culture that's being collected, every archive, they all pale. Everything that I make, it all pales in comparison to the greatest archive that we have, which is the lives of everybody at present, you know? Our lives is is the culmination of of generations of generations upon generations of intersection and weaving and and culture share you know and adaptation and um, atrocity and violence and beauty and love all of that entangled in our cells you know in our in our lives and how we operate and create the space that we exist in together is the greatest archive and cultural hub and center that exists and everything else is a pale representation of that you know um so i think it's important that we acknowledge our dependence on one another our interdependence on one another as the like um, source of all kind of creative experience, knowledge, culture, and celebrate that versus the isolation of these kind of like towers, you know, these these pillars of, of location. Our history and our entangled histories are all really thin narratives over something that's much thicker, which is the land beneath our feet and the story of like water flowing across there wind culminating sands you know what i'm saying volcanoes and stones it's a much more beautiful whole uh, uh uh story if we put place first you know um and and you know you mentioned it at the top of this like these land acknowledgements you know when are they going to start acknowledging the land that's my question you know, so far, I haven't seen one that doesn't just reinforce like a previous human inhabitant, you know, which justifies the present settler experience as a as a continuation of a long settler narrative, you know, and I'm like, no, the land was here first. Some of us believe that we came out of it. That's my question, too, is like a land acknowledgement, like words are. And intentional and impactful, but actions speak louder. What what happens next? Like you acknowledge the land, but it's just like, well, I, I acknowledge you as artists. <laughs> okay, and <laughs> what what am I going to do about it? Like what 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 happens next? You know, and I'm not saying that we have to answer that question here today, but you know, land acknowledgement acknowledges, like you said. But what does it do to the land? What does it do next? You know, so customarily in my in my culture and practice, every ceremony we have, every prayer we speak, um, every op, every feed we have where we feed the community, every time we do something, we we have land acknowledgments, and it's not about human beings. You know, it's about the land. It's about acknowledging the winds are more than human kinships it's it's about acknowledging the soil and the earth and and whatever agency it has and and it's acknowledging our finite aspect of this much larger connection what happens when you do a land acknowledgement 
if you commit to it and you're acknowledging the place that you you come from and that you're insignificant on the scope of that whole thing is over time you develop a reverence for place rather than looking at the place as resource you know and it's going to be clunky and seem ineffectual at the beginning you know because you don't there's not a deep cultural narrative of it but there is in every culture, every human being on this planet, every living thing on this planet has in its history at some point been so entangled with the earth that it that it acknowledges that it's never been separate, you know? And so that acknowledgement done over time, we might not see it in the, in the 21st century, in the 22nd century, but if we maintain these practices of acknowledging that over and over and over again, there's a string inside of you that's been dying to be plucked, you know? And every time we do that, it gets a little strum on it. And eventually it will vibrate and create a, a, a connective frequency that is more important than who do I, how do you identify me? Convert questions, you know? And rather like, oh, I see you. You're one of the human beings, you know? You're one of the living things on this planet. I don't even have to ask who you are, what your history is, because yours is mine and mine is yours. And it was all entangled at some point, you know, and, and, and it's isolating, you know, there are separations, there are influences, the environment itself has created so much of our cultures, you know, our phenotypes, you know, our phenotypes <laughs> are created because of our relationship to place. And now we use those phenotypical differences as a way to separate us, when in, in reality, our phenotypes is what connects us. To the land and to the environment. Emory has a land acknowledgement. Just we just got one. We just made one. We put it up in the exhibition. But what you're saying about who's acknowledging the land, I think there's an Emory alum, Klamath Henry, who wrote a poem that did anybody ask the land? Did anyone ask the earth if she wanted this? It's a really great poem. I'll find it uh, and share it with y'all. But but what's interesting, Marie, your work so much makes asks people those questions that Chinupa is talking about is what are those relationships with other living beings? And that question of how do you act differently if you acknowledge cre other creatures as companion species or first teachers? And can you talk more about that, Marie? Like how does that change how you act in your life or how other people act? I mean, I, I see this connected to what Chinupa does in his in his work as well. But, you know, my, my question has been, um, what would the world be like if we considered ourselves companion species? And, and that extends not just to animals, but it also extends to, to the environment and, and to water, to the wind. And, uh, and so, uh, in the sewing circles, we, uh, have, I don't know. There, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is what I like to refer to as this intersection between Nar Marvin Gaye knowledge about our relatedness and um, indigenous knowledge about our relatedness. And in the song, What's Going On, when Marvin Gaye calls out mother, mother, brother, brother, sister, sister, father, father, like in an like in a Seneca way of thinking about things, and, and I would extend that to like an indigenous way of thinking about things, it, it extends to grandmothers and aunties and uncles and um and that twinning of language that mother mother it's like a way of calling back uh in time to our ancestors and it's a way of calling forward to future generations and we're we're all 
connected. And I think that the sewing circles maybe offer an opportunity for people to engage their hands and their body in the act of, of making something in the way that, you know, also uh, in, uh, it's something that Chanoop and I did together for the Each Other Project. But also I think clay would have the, ha- has the same effect, right? It's this material that comes from the earth. And it's like when your hands are engaged with it, you you remember you remember your relationships in a different way. And I think that uh, it allows us to like have cross uh, generational conversations, cross disciplinary conversations and cross cultural conversations. And it's a traditional way of learning, not just for indigenous people, but like going back in time for, for all humans. Right. And so I think that that, um, is also a conversation that uh, we're both in, engaged in. And Chinup, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so do you have <laughs> more to add? Um, no, I would agree <laughs> with that. And I think that's that's one of the things about this exhibition, right? Like, Megan, you mentioned that other people were really charged, you know, student body and whatnot, how they could make projects and do this sort of work. The work we created is handled well it, it it holds up in the in the realm of like art objects you know with, with the quotation marks um it holds up within the aesthetic quality of like what art is considered through that kind of definition and whatnot but the methodology about its creation is accessible you know like people can see even if they didn't participate in the creation of the work as an individual the fingerprint, the the way a stitch is laid down, the way the clay is manipulated, all of those sort of things seems accessible, you know. Um, when you when you get down to the like components of its of its creation, and I think that's what drives inspiration for other people to do and make on their own independently. That they're like, this is possible, you know. This isn't outside of my skill set. This isn't outside of my scope. It's it's um, a great way to share a story, you know, um, and, and to, to, um, generate like this connectivity, you know? Um, and I think the exhibition does well at seeing that, like nothing in there is, is, um, the, the, the material that we're working with is accessible material. You know, it's things that have been repurposed. It's things that are relatively inexpensive. There's there's an equity to this. You know, you're not looking at a human skull studded with precious diamonds. You know what I'm saying? You're seeing something more important, more beautiful than that, you know, because it's not it's not an inaccessible kind of like declaration of what value is. The value is in the labor. It's in the it's in the care and the love of everybody who participated in that. And I think people can identify that there are people around me who care for me, who can empathize with me, who love me. And so I can generate work like this as well because I'm the the material that I'm working with is a social uh, exchange rather than a monetary exchange, you know? And so I think that's what generates like interest to like encourage people to make their own work, you know, to, to engage with their community and share story by seeing this exhibition is because nothing in that exhibition is out of reach. You know, there's, there's equity in that. I also think that there's something to be said for learning stories while making things is a way of 
of um, remembering, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's a way of remembering that's different than being talked at, right? Lolita, like you had, when we, exactly. when we started this conversation, Lolita was talking about how it's important to uh, listen and talk with one another, not at one another. And I think that like when, when you sit down and you make things together, you're, you're able to remember stories in a different way because of the nature of the exchange. And you're also listening to the material, right? Because that also comes from a place and has, has a story to tell us as well. Yeah, I think also this idea that you, like a story doesn't necessarily have to have a beginning, a middle or an end. When mm-hmm. in the sewing circle that you did with us, Marie, I sat down with a student who was like, I don't really tell stories. I don't have stories to tell. And then we're sewing. And so I just started asking her questions. And all of a sudden she was telling these amazing stories about her childhood and she moved around a lot. And I was all of a sudden I was like, you realize you do have a lot of stories to tell. (laughs) You just don't realize it. Or there's this idea that a story has to have a structure, whereas it's just, as Shunipo was saying before, it's life experience is a story or many stories together. I was thinking a little bit when Shunipo was talking before, um, and also Shunipo, you mentioned that people want to find the fingerprint of the artist. And what what's so great about the pieces in the exhibition is that where you see the fingerprints are often those collaborators, right? Especially the first piece in the exhibition, every one. The beads that you made, Chinupa, are the smoothest ones where you can't find a single fingerprint, no matter how hard you look. Whereas all the fingerprints are all these other people, these kids or who may not have even, you know, the square beads, my favorite, right? But that has that touch of that little girl who made that. And I think you're right, as you said, that whether it's you, where you're showing people with all those small and big fingerprints, or Marie, when you're like, I love the expressive stitch of the beginner sewer, that gave me the freedom to be like, okay, I'm going to sew with Marie Watt. Wow, that's a big deal. But this opening (laughs) that you all give to people to participate and then appreciating those marks as well. I think that's really great. But as we wrap up the um, interview, any final thoughts? I think maybe a final thought for me is that um, the space and the privilege that I, that I hold because of all of those things that I'm saying are like a problem with this like celebration of individual and all of that sort of stuff it's also given me privilege to um, create and participate and navigate through spaces and meet more and more people. And once, like Marie Watt had said, that changes who I am. You know, um, the further the further I travel, the more my my own personal identity changes. You know, and um, I, it's for me, it is an honor to be able to reach and engage with people and to create those, those intersections and those conversations. Um, sometimes I'm abrasive, you know, sometimes, uh, I'm real sweet, you know, but there is all, all of it is a generosity, you know, from, from one human to the next. Um, and that's how I, I see everybody. I don't, I don't necessarily need, um, all of the external identifiers. I see your humanity. I see you as a living thing, you know, here. And with that, I 
generate the same reverence that I have for the land for any person that I meet um, until <laughs> I trust everybody until, you know, uh, to a fault um, because I can, I can see that in us, you know? And so it's an honor for me to be able to, to do that. And um, rather than saying thank you, oftentimes I say you're welcome, you know, you're what you're welcome for, for that opportunity, because I think it does go both ways, you know, um, these sorts of exchanges and I want us to be welcome, you know? So, um, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I'd just like to add that in some ways, I feel like the piece that we created, um, collaboratively, Chinupa, each other, also is an extension of this notion of being welcome and of gratitude. And there's almost 800 bandanas that people created a sentiment on, either a word or a a visual expression. And I think that it really embodies this conversation, this complex conversation about identity and our connectedness. And, and so I invite people to, to come and, and look at each other. And also, um, I, I, I throw in a side note that this sculpture can change positions in space. And I think that that's also kind of an exciting, uh, outcome of working together and thinking of all the spaces that, this canine would occupy. That's us recognizing adaptation as like one of the greatest kind of human, human features, right? Uh, that we're a really incredibly adaptable species, you know, as one of these companion species in our environment, we're really adaptable. It's like a, a giant soft sculpture. So can, it can adapt knowing that we were going to exhibit this in multiple spaces. We wanted every single space to have the possibility of that piece adapting and fixing within the space that the community would come to see it and in doing so um, make it unique to whatever environment that it's traveling into we made it adaptable you know Um, which also feels so like to me like generous like the generosity that you all extended that I had to stress out less like okay yeah it's gonna fit (laughs) being adaptable is generous and generosity which i think is essential for these interpersonal relationships so i want to say thank you or you're welcome too for that part thank you for your generosity and inviting us here today community conversations is produced by lolita rowe nick twimlow and jacob chisenhall who also edits the show music by sister Sai. We are grateful for the continued support provided by our colleagues at the Rose Library, including our director, Jennifer Gunter King. Special thanks to Marie Watt, Chanupa Hanska Luger, Megan O'Neill, Sarah Jones, and the Emory Center for Digital Scholarship. For more information about Rose Library and our other podcast series, please visit us at rose.library.emory.edu. Follow us on Rose Library's Instagram and other social media, and please share with your friends. You can find Community Conversations on all your favorite podcast feeds. Next month, join me on a trip to the moon as I talk with Tracy Scott and Diane Gordon-Briggs, whose fathers were astronauts in NASA's Apollo program.